On this episode of the Kickstart My Franchise podcast, you learn all about a fantastic dog daycare brand, Houndstown. Why is it a significantly lower investment than its competitors? What are its ties to the New York City canine unit? Tune in to find out. Let's go. I'm your host, Tim Michaels. On today's episode, we have a very exciting guest. He began his franchising career as a minimum wage employee and was the first hire at Doc Popcorn, where he scaled the business to become the largest popcorn retailer in the world. He is now the president of a very exciting brand called Houndstown. We're thrilled to welcome Rob Flanagan to the show. That intro makes me feel really good about myself. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. And I understand you're a bit of an eggnog connoisseur. What's uh, what's the best eggnog you've ever had? You know, this is going to sound really almost disgusting. My favorite eggnog brand is really just the Kroger brand. <laughs> and I've tried every type of eggnog out there. The Kroger brand is the best. I'm telling wow. you. Yeah. After all that, it's Kroger. Yeah, back in the day when I was much younger, I would drink like a half a gallon in two days. I'm, I'm older now. I, I maybe drink a half a gallon in the entire Christmas season. But <laughs> there's something about eggnog. I, I love I love eggnog. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I guess to, to switch to the topic that we're here to talk about, Houndstown. You know, tell us what is Houndstown? How did it start? Yeah, so Houndstown started uh, a little bit over 20 years ago, and the founder is Mike Gould, an amazing, dynamic leader, and he was also one of the founding members of the K-9 unit of the New York City Police Department. And when he got into that field, there was just something about dogs and him that just clicked. He got how dogs behave and how dogs think. And then he, when he retired... He took that learning and moved it into a doggy daycare and boarding business. And in a nutshell, what makes us very different, not as a knock on our competitors ever, but we, we do it differently. Uh, the way I describe it is that everything we do is from the dog's perspective first. How we build our facilities, how we group dogs, how we form our packs is about replicating how a dog in the wild would be doing that. Whereas with a lot of other folks that are out there, again, not a knock, um, they're really looking at it as like, what does a human think the dog wants? Interesting. And we're really, and that's why our tagline is we do it for the dogs. Uh, some examples of that is we don't have 90 degree angles in our play areas. Uh, 90 degree angles don't exist in mother nature in the wild. Mm -hmm. 90 degree angles can create uh, an environment where a dog could get cornered and create anxiety. So we don't have that. We build it from 18 inches off the ground. So like, how does a dog see the world? And it's all driven from Mike Gould and how he's learned about dogs and then incorporated it into a business model. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Is there anything else that really differentiates Houndstown versus some of the other competitors out there? You obviously named some really great things already. Yeah, uh, everything really becomes an offshoot of the dog management approach. So from 
the way we manage dogs, the business model is incredibly simple. And I'm really attracted to that. I've run franchise, uh, restaurant franchises and retail franchises. For us, the business model is really simple. Once you learn the dog management approach, the managing of the business is pretty, it's really about your labor at that point. And that labor is another big differentiator for us because our dog management approach is what it is. We're able to run our facilities at a very low pro- uh, labor, which just equals more profit dollars for the franchisees. And how does the overall cost, you know, compare to maybe some of the other, you know, day- dog daycares out there? Yeah, there's a lot of different ones out there, but it, in general, our build out costs of, you know, if you're looking at our item seven on the high end, 700. But when you look at some of the bigger competitors out there, their high ends are over a million. And again, sometimes they're kind of looking at it more from the human's perspective. Yep. But because we're dogs don't, <laughs> dogs don't need a lot of the things that we think they need. And so we don't have that in our build out because it's not for the dogs. Mm-hmm. So we have a lower build-out cost, um, a really profitable business model, and has a revenue stream that equals some of those bigger bigger stores. And how fast are you guys growing? So as of we're at 50 locations today, we'll be at 51 next week. Shout out to Bob nice. Walk in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> Great guy and uh, opening next week. Uh, we should be around 60 by the end of this year. And next year will be probably between 85, maybe 90. What's important about that kind of growth, and I I do like to just take a brief second to speak about that. I I find a lot of times in franchising, they uh, brands talk about the openings, and I get that. Mm. Yes, we absolutely look at openings. That's how you have to project and create strategies. But what really drives us is average unit volume and profitability at the unit level. I tell my team all the time, hey, we have a growth goal, an AUV goal, and a unit profitability goal. If we hit the growth goal but don't hit the AUV and profit profit goals, we miss something. But if we hit the AUV goals and the profit goals for our franchisees but we didn't hit the store opening goal, that's okay. It's yeah. really about what is the franchisee in driving that unit volume mm-hmm. profitability that really drives us. Because if we're doing that, we're taking care of our franchisees and we're taking care of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if you do that as well, if if there's positive growth and um, income among the existing franchisees, you guys are going to get that growth in terms of the number of locations anyway. So Makes we a lot of sense. Like a, yeah, we we look at this as like a general, a generational business. Like I, I have a six year old daughter. I want her to be part of Houndstown twenty years from now. So nice. we um, we are growing, but we are really looking at it as responsible growth. It is responsible growth, and that comes from a lot of my experience in twenty five years of franchising, where. I've seen, consulted with, been part of where the brands just kind of get a little bit over their skis and we proactively create strategies to kind of uh, grow, but make sure we're doing it to where we're at. Mm -hmm. It's great to hear. In terms of, 
you know, an ideal franchisee? I know people can come from a lot of different backgrounds, but like what, what really are you looking for? Who enjoys this sort of business? Yeah, what we do in terms of finding the right franchisee is we use a psychological profile. We work with a company called Zorkel, which I highly recommend. And what Zorkel does is kind of take a look at the different stages of growth that a franchisor is in. And you want to attract a different type of franchisee depending on that stage of growth. So if you're a very early stage, maybe 10 units, 15 units, you're looking for a certain type of person. If you have a thousand units, you're looking for a different type of person. So at the kind of emerging stage we're looking at, we are looking for people who want to be part of a privately owned franchise that's very heart driven, but also understands that this franchise is at 50 units and not a thousand units. And we're developing systems and processes and procedures to um, make this brand as strong as possible. Mm. Ideally, when we when we're looking at prospects, and this sounds a little bit on the subjective side, really what we're looking at is this kind of phrase that's been around a bit is grit, mm. and that's not really about Houndstown. That's really about the franchising model. That when you come in as a franchisee, it's so much easier running your own business as part of a franchise, but it's still running your own business. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at that. And then we're also looking at their ability to develop a team. Because what I've seen, and again, the, the amount of time in franchising, that the future success of that franchisee is really dependent on their ability to lead a team, a younger generation for us. Uh, develop that team and then be able to grow into multiple units. Sounds, sounds terrific. Um, <laughs> do you guys have semi-absentee owners or what, is, what is sort of the focus? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, semi-absentee is one of those phrases that can be, can mean a lot of different things depending on the brand. We like to call it semi-active. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like well, it. Well, we what we're very clear about is that absolutely semi-active. But what that usually means is if, if you're coming in here is that you have identified a manager to be trained and kind of run your store. You still need to learn it as the franchisee. Because hmm. if that manager doesn't work out, you need to step in and run it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we want to be really clear on what semi-active. We have lots of semi-active uh, franchisees. Most of our franchisees start out as owner-operator, and then they work it as an owner-operator for about six months, nine months, and then bring in that manager and move into semi-active. Mm-hmm. So for those people considering, you know, buying a franchise, like what are the top reasons? And you might've already said some of them that they should own a Houndstown. (laughs) Well, first and foremost, when what we're looking at is we want somebody that resonates with our mission. Mm -hmm. So our mission is that in 10 years, every dog has access to a Houndstown, that they're passionate about being part of their communities that they really get that when we say we do it for the dogs, it's not a tagline. It's what drives everything 
that we do. Mm. It's for the dogs. And that's a big part of what they want to be part of. And then secondarily, they get that it's a business, that they are investing their life savings and they are driving revenue and they are driving profit. Uh, I make the joke that nobody gets into franchising to run a nonprofit <laughs> and that they're able to kind of have a bridge between the heart of the business, which is really awesome and powerful, but also understanding the logistics of the business and how you have to drive both of those to accomplish our mission. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so last question, and I'm, I'm surprising you with this one. I forgot to oh, ask before awesome. the show. So, uh, well, you know, everyone always wants to know how much can I earn? And I know there's only so much that a franchisor can disclose, but is there any, you know, sneak peek or any high level info on the item 19 that you're able to share? Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely can. So what we do is our item 19, I, I'm incredibly proud of it because we intentionally make it as transparent as we legally can. So not only do we have last year's sales data and how that compared and year over year sales, that's all good stuff. But we put in the profit and loss statement of uh, every store that was open within the reporting period. So any prospect that's coming in can take a look at a store that's doing incredibly well, but also see a P&L statement of a store that maybe was on a slower growth trajectory. And a lot mm -hmm. of that depends on the area or whatever it may be. Um, so anybody who's taken a look at our item 19, I, I highly encourage them to really go through each of those P&L statements and ask the questions. Um, why is this one going here? Why is this one here? And I find that visibility just creates a lot of transparency, which leads to a lot of trust with the franchisor and the franchise. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Is there anything else that I didn't ask about that you think is important to get in? You know, I think when uh, it's a very small part, but I think it's actually really, really uh, important is, you know, Mike founded this company, uh, his wife, Jackie Bondanza, she's the CEO. She, she's, she's the one that kind of saw the potential and, and then started taking it to where we are today. Mm -hmm. The fact that we're a female-led and uh, uh, we're, we're doing this ourselves, it's all self-funded, we're really proud about that because what that, for us, it, what that speaks to is that we want to ensure that our mission is held sacred mm -hmm. and that we're able to kind of make sure and be stewards of that mission without bringing in maybe some other folks who have different opinions of that stewardship. It's a small component. I get it. But to us internally, we're really proud of that. And, you know, um, uh, we have a lot of respect for both Matt, Mike and Jackie and what they've done. Fantastic. Well, really appreciate your time here today and, and thank you for joining us. My pleasure.
If you enjoyed the discussion, please see the full episode on our YouTube channel or Spotify podcast links below.